0: Coming up on Word Matters, corrections, clarifications, and grave transgressions. I'm Emily Brewster, and Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. On each episode, Merriam-Webster editors Amon Shea, Peter Sokolowski, and I explore some aspect of the English language from the dictionary's vantage point. A visit to the mailbag provides us with a sartorial use of hipster and some schooling on 19th-century locomotive technology.
1: Listeners will occasionally write us letters with questions, sometimes clarifications, et cetera, about recent episodes of our podcast. And if you do and you have a question, we are always happy to entertain the question and answer it if we can. But today we'd like to kind of shift the focus to a slightly different kind of listener response. And this is a new section of answering mailbag questions that we are going to call... Mistakes were made, in which people have pointed out errors that we have made. And we do, in fact, make mistakes. And thank you to anybody who draws our attention to them. But recently, several people wrote to us about our explanation of jerk water, in which we referred to the water in jerk water as a means of cooling steam locomotives. A number of you wrote in to point out reasonably enough that water is not used to cool steam locomotives so much as it is used as a fuel for them by means of boiling that water. And so when we explained that jerkwater towns are trains that stop at little towns to cool their engines with water, we were certainly in error. And Peter, we actually had some content written about that, didn't we?
2: Yeah, there's a wonderful little paragraph at the entry for Jerkwater. And that's what I love about the online dictionary. When it first came out, there was a lot of worry that the sort of romance of dictionaries was going away, that the online dictionaries were sterile. It's certainly true that you lose the serendipity of research. You don't stumble across a word that you weren't looking for quite so frequently. However, because we have more space in the online dictionary, we're able to add more articles like this to the bottom of this entry for Jerkwater. By the way, the date for Jerkwater is 1888, date of first known use, which does put it in the heart of the steam technology era. And we give this little information as a kind of note at the bottom of the entry. We owe the colorful Americanism, Jerkwater, to the invention of the steam engine, an advancement that significantly accelerated travel by rail, but also had its drawbacks. One drawback was that The boilers of the early locomotives needed to be refilled with water frequently, and water tanks were few and far between. As a result, the small trains that ran on rural branch lines often had to stop to take on water from local supplies. Such trains were commonly called jerkwaters, from the motion of jerking the water up in buckets from the supply to the engine. The derogatory use of jerkwater for things unimportant or trivial reflects the fact that these jerkwater trains typically ran on lines connecting small, middle-of-nowhere towns.
0: Perhaps we should amend your title, Ammon, from mistakes were made to mistakes were made and omissions were committed. Another writer, Carrie, wrote to us saying, As a teenager of the late 60s, early 70s, I recall the word hipsters referred to a girl's trousers or jeans, usually wide-legged, that sat low on the hips, these are now often referred to as low rise jeans, although a quick Google indicates the word hipster is still sometimes used for this article of clothing. Of course, I'm familiar with that use also, so that was certainly an omission on my part. These are also called hip huggers, the hipsters, and I think also women's underwear that sits low on the hips is also called hipster. I think it's interesting the term low rise is the more common term these days. It's a rather technical term, right? The rise is the distance between the waist and the crotch of of a pair of pants. It's a rather technical way to refer to this. I think hipster, hip hugger is more evocative. Maybe that's the problem with it.
1: Maybe we can just rename this section Mia Copa.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That works too. You're listening to Word Matters. I'm Emily Brewster. Coming up, transgressive lexicography. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
2: Word Matters listeners get 25% off all dictionaries and books at shop.merriam-webster.com by using the promo code matters at checkout. That's matters, M-A-T-T-E-R-S at shop.merriam-webster.com.
1: I'm and Shea. Do you have a question about the origin, history, or meaning of a word? Email us at wordmatters at m-w.com.
2: I'm Peter Sokolowski. Join me every day for The Word of the Day, a brief look at the history and definition of one word, available at merriam-webster.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more podcasts from New England Public Media, visit the NEPM Podcast Hub at nepm.org.
0: A listener asked if any of us has ever tried to sneak a word into the dictionary. And, well, we all have something to say about that. I'll begin. Listener Katerina writes to us, In the last episode, What Does It Mean to be at Large?, Ammon mentions journalists spending years trying to coin words to get them into the Oxford Dictionary. Have any of you tried to coin words or sneak them onto the desk of a colleague in the hopes of getting it printed? Katerina also asks what kinds of April Fool's Day jokes lexicographers <laughs> play on each other. I have never tried to sneak a word into the dictionary. Ammon, have you? Peter, have you?
1: No, not willingly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Peter?
2: No. There is a lot of judgment, but we, of course, we using data. We're using the quotations or the citations, the evidence. And when doing the French project in particular, we were making a dictionary from scratch. So we were creating a headword list which is the closest you can come to a list from scratch. In other words, not just adding a word to an existing dictionary like the collegiate. We used a corpus that we made ourselves for French to sort of match the English word list that we had for the English to French side, and we had to make one up for the French to English side. And what was interesting about that is we did a kind of census, and we would count the words, and we would see, oh, these are very common words, and of course a lot of them were not surprising at all, that of course they're going to be in the dictionary. But it did come up with words... That I didn't know that I thought this seems fairly common. And from its context, I understand what it means. And there were a couple words put in and one that I remember at the time that you're talking about the mid to late 1990s was the word courriel, C-O-U-R-R-I-E-L, which was used in Canada to mean email. And it wasn't until 2005 that the French Academy declared that it was the official French word for email. So We were proud that we had put it in the dictionary already, even as a word that I didn't use or know, because the evidence showed that it belonged there. So my point with this long walk is that with some evidence, we can make that call, and that call is really what our job is in part to do.
0: But that is not what Katerina is asking. No, she's saying, are you having fun? (laughs) She is asking, do we ever sneak a word in? And there is a name for such words. Oh, yes. There is a word for a word that is snuck into a reference work. That word is Mount Weasel. Oh, And that is because in the 1975 edition of the New Columbia Encyclopedia, there was an entry – For a person named Lillian Virginia Mountweasel. And I'm going to read the entry. Mountweasel, comma, Lillian Virginia, 1942-1973, American photographer, born Bangs, Ohio. Turning from fountain design to photography in 1963... Mount Weasel produced her celebrated portraits of the South Sierra Miwok in 1964. She was awarded government grants to make a series of photo essays of unusual subject matter, including New York City buses, the cemeteries of Paris, and rural American mailboxes. The last group was exhibited extensively abroad and published as Flags Up, 1972. Mount Weasel died at 31 in an explosion while on assignment for Combustibles magazine.
1: <laughs> That's the giveaway.
0: That is the giveaway because Ms. Mountweasel was entirely fictional. (laughs) And the story goes that this entry was put in to the New Columbia Encyclopedia specifically to find out if other reference work publishers were copying from the New Columbia Encyclopedia. So I don't know if anybody was taken in.
1: I would say color me skeptical about this whole thing. I I think that Mount Weasel is this thing that's taken hold of the educated imagination Mm -hmm. of the public, that people want it to be true. It's a great story. However, my limited experience working at a different dictionary company that was thought to have a Mount Weasel, which was New Oxford American Dictionary, was found to have the word esquivalence, which was defined, I think, as the willful avoidance of one's duties or official responsibilities. And it is unique to that dictionary in the strict sense of unique, and it was referred to as a Mount Weasel. My understanding was that it was actually a practical joke that the editors were kind of playing on each other and that they forgot to take it out. And then when they were called on it, they said, oh, it's a Mount Weasel, which is a fine explanation, but it's kind of a post-hoc explanation, and I don't think it was put there intentionally with that in mind. I could be wrong in that, but I would not be surprised if the original Mount Weasel in the encyclopedia was the result of some other thing. And then afterwards, they discovered, oh, this would be great. You know, somebody copies it. We've got them.
0: Interesting. So you think it's just a story, a story to cover up for some horseplay.
1: April Fool's joke.
0: Yeah. Yeah, There (laughs) we go. I
1: think it's an April Fool's joke gone awry.
0: Interesting. I just want to make a slight correction. It wasn't esquivalence. It's actually esquivalience, or I don't know how you pronounce it, actually. But there's an I-E-N-C-E. I think it's got to be esquivalience. But your definition was spot on. That is the definition. It was also given an etymology, you know, perhaps from French esquiver, meaning dodge or slink away. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I have said in the past when people have asked me about this, have I ever entered a fake word into a dictionary, that I would lose my lexicographer's license if I were to do such a thing. In truth, don't have a license. There is no licensing authority. I just work by the grace of my employers. I would never do it. It seems just completely wrong. And... I wouldn't get away with it if I tried.
2: (laughs) Of course, yeah. As Ammon said, there's something attractive about the idea of a copyright trap. It's kind of like a conspiracy theory. I think conspiracy theories are things that we can make fun of or whatever, but we realize there's an attraction to the unknown. The dictionary represents a kind of ocean of text. And wouldn't it be wonderful if there was one fixed point in that ocean that never moved and that could give this important information, which is to say that the copyright had been infringed, and this had been copied by another And of course, that has probably happened in the sense that information has been copied, but dictionaries are made to be reference tools and they're referenced for each other's work. And it does also strike me as being antithetical to what we do first of all, we're not having that much fun. <laughs> and second of all, I just don't think it's a thing. What maybe has contributed to this also is the idea of these so-called ghost words like Doord famously in Webster's Second, which was a mistake. We admitted that it was a mistake, but it plants the seed that, oh, right, you could put an entry in a dictionary that really didn't belong and that could sit there for years and not be noticed. And if it's plausible, then it could serve this function. A very smart person could connect these dots and say, well, copyright is a thing. And there's an ocean of text. Why not make one very deliberate entry in it? And maybe what this reveals is the first rule of copyright traps is there is no copyright trap. Maybe we just don't know. Maybe we're not high enough on the totem pole to know about these things. But my true feeling is that even though before copyright existed, which is to say in the 17th century and 18th century, people like Noah Webster and early lexicographers like Blunt and Phillips and Worcester and Webster were constantly accusing each other of plagiarism of one kind or another. But they didn't have a mechanism in place to enforce anything.
0: In truth, there is a long and storied history of flat-out plagiarism in dictionary-making going back to the beginning of dictionaries.
2: Dictionaries are lists of words, and sometimes these lexicographers got their list from an already published source.
1: There are some reference works that do, in fact, use Mount Weasel's. I just don't think it's a widespread practice or nearly as widespread as people wish that it were. But in terms of whether we put words into the dictionary, I think this betrays a certain difference of opinion of how dictionaries work in the public's eye and how they work in the eyes of the people that make them. And as somebody who has worked on a number of dictionaries, I certainly don't have the opinion that a word needs to be in a dictionary to have any kind of official imprimatur or sanction. Any word that you want to be a word is a word if you use it as one. It doesn't need us to say it is so. So to me, it doesn't make a difference whether a word is in a dictionary or not. It's still a word. And so I see nothing to be gained by putting a word into the dictionary. To me, it doesn't change its status in any way. And if you spend any time at all looking at dictionaries or certainly working on them, you quickly realize how many errors every one of them has. So there's no mystique, really, in putting in yet another error into the dictionary. There are plenty of them there already. This is just a different kind of error. It's an intentional one. We're all trying to fix this hodgepodge of the language. We're trying to not fix the language as in make it set. We're trying to fix our attempts of keeping up with it. And it's always this uphill Sisyphean battle of we get the word defined and then, oh, the stone rolls to the bottom of the hill because those (laughs) damn teenagers got their hands on it and the poets as well. And now it means something totally different. We have to go back and revise the whole entry again. It's already completely out of date. It's like saying to a lexicographer, do you want to add a fake word in the dictionary? It's like saying to Sisyphus, do you want to just roll over another hill with that rock? you want to go a little higher? It's already what he's doing.
2: Fred Misch, who was the editor-in-chief at Merriam-Webster for many years, used to say a little bit in a jocular sense that lexicography was the art of the possible, which is, of course, a play on the old saw about politics. And his point was, it'll never be done. It'll never be finished. It'll never be perfect. It'll never be right to everyone's satisfaction. And that's why it's never-ending battle of rolling a rock up a hill.
0: I have to say that even in a case like Esquivalence, there would have to be so much collusion to get it through with our process. Everybody would have to be in on it, or not everybody, but multiple editors would have to all be convinced that this was a good thing to do. We got other rocks to roll up hills. (laughs) For Amon Shay and Peter Sokolowski, I'm Emily Brewster. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.